Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. The truth is that no student should be discriminated against because of who they are. Labor will protect all students here in this chamber, in the Senate, and if need be, after the next election. We are absolutely committed to this. It's, it's actually, actually it's less Twilight Zone and more Orwell. It's Animal Farm, where everyone's endowed with rights, but some rights are lesser than others. And the rights of Christians are certainly lesser than others in this country. And I could point to City Point Christian College, another school, you want to know what, 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 what gets you cancelled in this country? A principal of a Christian school who sent out a statement of biblical beliefs that he asked parents and students to sign up to at this Christian school. Now, no one forces anyone to go to a Christian school. It's not like, you know, you're trapped into it. You, can't ha you don't have a choice to go to a, a grammar school or a state school or a Catholic school or uh, any other school for that matter. But they arced up because this Christian school sent out a statement of Christian beliefs that it wanted its students and parents to adhere to. And yes, there were statements in that about sexuality. There were statements of that about gender. And for that, you know, fire and brimstone was rained down upon that college. The principals left his spot. Thanks very much to all the political and media elite that actually trampled upon the college that cost a person their job. Didn't think of that, did you? Didn't think about all the abuse that the receptionists at that college copped. I phoned them up the next day, sadly after they'd made the decision to pull that statement of beliefs. I phoned them up and I apologised to them for the actions of people in this place on both sides, for the actions that led to all that abuse, that led to their principal standing down. Actions like those we saw from the Queensland Government that said that they would launch an investigation, presumably to take away some legal status or funding that the school had. This is where we've led, this is where we've gotten to in this country. Okay, and welcome to the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. I'm Lyle Shelton. For those listening to this audio, the first voice you heard was that of the Labor leader, Anthony Albanese, talking about a problem that does not exist in Christian schools. The second voice was that of LNP MP George Christensen talking about a problem that does exist. At around 5am yesterday morning, the Federal House of Representatives voted to strip Christian schools of the freedom to teach children the truth about gender and Christian sexual ethics. You won't read that in the media, but that is what happened. If these amendments to the, the government's religious discrimination bill pass the Senate, and by the time you are hearing my voice, that may already have occurred, schools could be hauled before government tribunals and commissions and fined. Parents will no longer have the right to educate their children in their values. One of the main aims of the four-year post-same-sex marriage religious freedom review and legislation was to protect these rights. It has backfired spectacularly thanks to the votes of five Liberal MPs who crossed the floor to vote with the Greens, Labor and the left-wing independents. 
Activists with their friends in the mainstream media have hijacked the agenda and framed Christian schools as heartless, bigoted places where gay and transgender children are marginalised and expelled. Hence Albanese's emotive rhetoric. Nothing could be further from the truth though, but that has never mattered in rainbow politics. Sadly, virtually no politicians, George accepted, have had the courage to take on this narrative and counter it in public. The silence of Christian and conservative politicians and Christian leaders means that the traffic has all been one way, that the public have just heard one side. The Prime Minister sadly sided with the rainbow activists and this, isn't, this hasn't helped at all. Here's what he said about City Point Christian College's enrolment policy. Take a listen. My kids go to a Christian school here in Sydney and I wouldn't want my school doing that either. The Morrison government's already weak religious discrimination bill is likely to be rendered almost meaningless after the Senate is finished with it. Um, now, I'm recording this on Thursday, February 10, and debate in the Senate is continuing today. If you're listening to this or watching and haven't yet heard the outcome, please go to my blog, uh, lyleshelton.org.au, and uh, there'll be an update there on the result of this. Now, faithful Christian schools and courageous parent communities will become political dissidents, risking fines and possibly jail if this legislation is passed. They are sadly not supported by the Prime Minister. If anyone thinks that churches will not be next, you haven't been paying attention. Well, today's feature interview is with my good friend, James McPherson, writer at large for The Spectator. I'm talking with him about his new book, Notes from Woketopia, Laying Bare the Lunacy of Woke Culture. Well, welcome to the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. It's great to have your company. My special guest today is James McPherson. He's a former News Limited journalism, a leader of one of the largest churches in Australia, and currently writes for The Spectator Australia. You might have also seen him on Sky News. His new book is Notes from Woketopia, Laying Bare the Lunacy of Woke Culture. James, welcome to the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. Hey, Lyle. Good to be with you, and thanks for having me. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, James, uh, this might be a little bit of a self-indulgent way to kick off this discussion, but uh, I'm very proud of the endorsement that I wrote for your book, Notes from Woketopia, and I thought I'd share it with our, our listeners and our viewers uh, and then allow you to tee off the back of uh, this inspired piece of writing. I said of your book, James McPherson doesn't so much deconstruct the wokester's ideas as he follows the logic innocently applying witticisms until absurdity is self-evident. James, what do you mean by woke? What is woketopia and why is it lunacy? Well, before I answer any of that, can I just say <laughs> that the thing I didn't like about what you wrote is that the best part of my book is your comment and after that all of the prose goes downhill. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> You're very kind with your endorsement. It, you know, woke has become... Uh, a euphorism for uh, political correctness on steroids. Um, but but it, it, it more um, broadly refers to people who consider themselves uh, more enlightened than the average person because, because they can see what others cannot. They can see the inherent racism or the structural uh, misogyny or whatever it is that everybody else is oblivious to, but, but they can see through, you know, the... The, uh, the obvious to the underlying things that are causing all the troubles and, and this special knowledge that 
enables them to be superior and sit in moral judgment upon everyone else. Um, and I think that's very prevalent in our society at the moment. Um, of course, no, you don't. Say, so, just, so just so our, our audience can get a, a handle on this, because you and I, I think we know what we're talking about when we say woke. And, and you're right. Um, it is this special class of people who have special knowledge, a bit like the ancient Gnostics uh, back uh, just after the time of Christ in the early centuries or early decades of Christianity. But um, we're talking about, uh, an, I guess, an approach to issues like racism, uh, homophobia, transphobia, these things which on the surface, you know, no one wants to be racist, no one wants to be discriminatory towards gays or, or people who, you know, have different gender identities. I think we all want to be tolerant and nice to those sort of people. But wokeism sort of goes even goes beyond that, doesn't it? It, it uses those aspects of our good-natured approach to our fellow humans uh, to then weaponize that um, just just help help our audience understand how it takes these good things and, and then you know turns it into the absurdity or the lunacy that you talk about in your book now the funny thing is you, you don't see people in the Middle East uh, campaigning for uh, tolerance or equality or fairness um, it's a peculiarly peculiarly Western um, imperative. And you've got to ask, why did this arise in the Western world? Well, the Western world is built on the Judeo-Christian ethic. Uh, where do we get the, the impetus for um, uh, uh, fairness and for equality and for tolerance? Well, it comes because we've been raised on the um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbour as yourself. Um, uh, Jesus said, uh, uh, they don't condemn you, I don't condemn you either. And so this uh, ethic of forgiveness and tolerance and making room for others, treating people with grace, these are all Christian ideals. Uh, the problem is that we've rejected uh, the Christian ethos from which they came and disconnected from the Christian underpinning. These things which are inherently good actually become bad. G.K. Chesterton said that when you remove God from the picture, um, vice runs wild, and that's true. All sorts of evil things happen. But then he said a very interesting and very profound thing. He said, when you get rid of God, not only does vice run wild, but virtue runs wild. And virtue running wild, disconnected from the person of Christ, does all sorts of damage in the same way that water outside of a channel floods and, and wreaks havoc. And so we're living in a culture where uh, Christian ideals, but removed from the, the person of Christ in whom they are defined, uh, just now run wild. And so they sound good uh, on the initial hearing, but when you look at the consequences, uh, they end up being quite destructive. So, so, for instance, to give an example, well, we've just got to love everybody. Uh, and love is a Christian ideal. Well, that's true, but, but what is love? And, and unless you know the person of Jesus, then you really struggle to define what love is. We only know what love is because we know Jesus. So the moment you get rid of Jesus and you're still promoting love, but now love becomes twisted into whatever shape someone wants it to be. So they have the luxury of um, talking about a virtue, but um, applying it um, in a completely different fashion to that with which it was originally intended, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense to me. But if, if I'm um, the average, uh, anyone from Gen X down to whatever the latest iteration of, of people who are born in the last you know, 15 or 20 years, their thinking is, okay, well, what's wrong with a phrase like love is love? Why do people like you and me think that is woke and why do we poke a bit of fun at it? Because to them it's very serious. Well, I mean, for a Christian, um, Jesus said, look, you can reduce all of the commandments to two. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. So loving other people is the second most important thing as a Christian that we should do, the second most important thing. Not the, no, not, not the number one thing, the second thing. And, and the number one thing is to love God. Now, the two are connected. If we're made in the likeness of God, how am I to know what you're supposed to be like unless I first know God in whose likeness you're made? So I love God first, and in, in understanding God, now I understand you, and now I can love you into wholeness. If I don't understand God, then I don't understand his blueprint for you and how humans are meant to function. And so instead of loving you into wholeness, I can literally love you to death. Um, and, and so for a Christian, that's why um, uh, we we learn to love others by understanding what God is like. If, if you don't know what God is like, well, then... Uh, you know, you, you start to love people according to whatever preferences they have and, and you call that love. Well, that, that's something different according to the Christian definition. Okay, and that, that's where we get into these um, concepts of identity politics where my identity essentially becomes a, a sexual identity or even a sexualized identity to the point where now we can have a statement that uh, I feel like I'm a woman trapped in a man's body and that statement, which would have been seen as absurd probably even five years ago, uh, now is seen as a serious statement that should be reflected, uh, respected, and that the person who utters that should be respected. Yeah. Look, I, th I think most people would agree it's absurd, but no one wants to say it. And the reason we don't want to say it is because we want to be nice. We, we gen genuinely don't want to offend anyone. Why would we want to upset anybody and certainly someone who seems to be struggling in their own life? The, the last thing we want to do is add insult to injury, right? Yeah. And so out of a desire to be kind and be nice, we agree with things that internally we're thinking this is madness, but, but I don't want to say that and, and, hey, you know, live and let live, right? Um, and, and so as a culture, we have agreed to things that, Internally, we uh, think are completely wrong, but we've agreed to it because about the only value we share these days is well, we we should be nice. Um, but as I think you point out regularly, we've got to look at long-term effects. And um, I think when you look at the long-term effects for people, it, it's, it's not kind to tell people lies and it's not kind to agree with what you believe to be nonsense. It, it's not respecting to yourself and it's not respectful of other people. Um, and, and I think as Christians we ought to know how to how to disagree quite violently with on ideas and yet still love people who might hold those ideas and treat them, you know, kindly and with respect. But that doesn't mean we have to agree on everything or endorse everything. Yeah. No, it's one of the things I've always appreciated about you, James. You've always said that respect is for people but not necessarily for ideas. Uh, in this book, though, Notes from Woketopia, okay, you, you're having a bit of fun and, and you and I you know, both agree we don't want to add to anyone's um, uh, 
internal distress or, or issues that they might be having in their lives um, or, or belittle anyone. But nonetheless, um, you're uh, in constructing the uh, the title. It's got a little rainbow on it. Um, you know, it's poking a bit of fun at, uh, at at I guess some sort of utopian, woketopian world that our elites are trying to construct. How have you gone about having a serious conversation um, in a way that is witty and that does point out the, I guess, you know, you've used the word lunacy, so it's pretty strong. So on one hand, we're saying let's be respectful. The other hand, we're, we're poking a bit of fun. How, do you, how did you achieve that balance in your writings? I think humour is a really important tool for argument. I, I think the best way to expose a silly idea is to ridicule it. Um, you know, the Ayatollah Khomeini famously said, there are no jokes in Islam. Um, whereas, um, you know, I, I think um, if something's robust, it can stand up to a bit of uh, parody. Uh, but if you're worried about your ideology, well, then the last thing you want is anyone laughing at it. Um, one of my favourite children's stories is the emperor with no clothes. And uh, he can get away with it until someone starts laughing. And then once someone starts laughing, it's over. Um, so I think one of the best ways to expose bad ideas is to ridicule them. Um, now, not ridiculing people, but ridiculing bad ideas. I've got to be very um, clear about that. Um, at the same time, I think humour is uh, entertaining. And I think when you're making a serious point, um, there's so much noise these days. Um, people want to be entertained and to have fun, even if they're considering a serious topic. So I think humour helps with that. Um, and it's probably a little bit the way I'm wired. Anyway, I, one, one of the great consolations of how bad the world is right now is how funny it is. And um, if you're going to live through the apocalypse, you might as well laugh your way through it. And, um, you know, there's a lot that is pretty absurd. So uh, Give us some examples, James. What, what do you see in this current woke world, this woke culture that's absurd, that, that just makes you laugh and want to poke fun at it? Excuse me. Well, uh, you know, um, transgendered uh, women uh, cleaning up in um, sporting events around the world. Uh, it's it's pretty funny. Um, you know, I, I watched uh, that famous clip in the US. I think it was a college swim meet where a transgendered swimmer in the women's event uh, just absolutely smashed the opposition. Um, yeah. I mean, I watched I had to laugh because it, it was... It wasn't even close. Um, I just find things like that funny. Um, you know, uh, not, not, not so funny for the poor girls who are getting smashed by Leah Thomas at Penn State University. Uh, no, not, not funny for them. Um, you know, there was a, a, a story last year where um, uh, a, a transgendered woman uh, won a, a beauty pageant. Um, well, I, I mean... To me, that's it's so absurd. It's it's funny. Um, yeah. So it's the contradictions. You know, if if a um if a if a drunk homeless man slips on a banana peel and falls flat in his face in the mud, that's not funny. Um, because it's in the nature of drunken bums to fall flat in their face. But if a posh man dressed in top hat and tails and looking down on everybody else, if he falls flat in his face, that's hilarious. Because he's not supposed. It's the disconnect. It's that's not supposed to happen. I, I think that's what makes things funny. And when you see things in culture that are 
the opposite of what you would expect and the opposite of what should happen, there's, there's always an element of humour to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now we, we've talked about the transgender issue. You, you also poke fun at many other woke issues. I, I mean, there's the, the whole critical race theory, there's the climate change debate. These are all sacred cows of um, the left and, and, and the libertarian right to some extent, uh, but they've become um, things in our society, our culture, our elites, our media jealously guard these things. So even to poke fun at them and to expose them is a dangerous thing these days, isn't it? Yeah, it is. If you want to survive, keep your head down and say nothing. But who wants to live like that? And uh, and, and if you've got children, um, then I think you owe it to your children to, to uh, define things properly and to... Um, to be normal. It's just so hard to find a normal person anymore. There's a great story in Los Angeles a while ago where a, a woman walked into the, the uh, change room of a health spa and there was a, a man naked in there and, and she came out screaming, there's a man in the change rooms and, and the staff said, no, 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 that's a transgendered woman. There's nothing we can do. And, and, and the the patron protested, saying, it's not a transgendered person, it's, it's a man, I can see his penis. And, and someone filmed this and it went viral. And I was watching this and I was thinking, why did it go viral? And, and I think the reason it went viral is because someone was reacting as a normal person would react. A normal person would say, that it's not a woman, it's a man. I can see his penis, it's a man. Yeah. Yeah. But, but normalcy is so rare these days because we, we hide our normal and, and we agree to things that we, we privately uh, would say are crazy, um, normalcy is so rare that when you see it, it goes viral. Um, someone reacting normally as a normal person would. And so I, I think you're right. You can get yourself into a lot of trouble. But um, the more people that point out the absurdities, the easier it gets to point out the absurdities. But when everyone stays quiet then eventually absurdities become accepted norms. And have, that's yeah. a great danger for our children, I think. It is. And, and people then get very furrowed brows about these absurd things and uh, take it all very seriously. This is the, the genius of your book. Your work is now being um, recognised even internationally, not only here in Australia, uh, more and more appearances on Sky, lots of articles in The Spectator. I encourage everyone to go to Spectator Australia and look at James's articles online. But you recently appeared on Serbian television. Uh, that looked quite uh, comical, I must admit, what I saw because it was you speaking with um, Serbian dubbed over your voice. Uh, what were you telling the Serbians? Uh, it was to do with the Novak uh, Djokovic controversy, obviously. But, uh, again, having more fun. I think you were having too much fun at the time. <laughs> you want to know something funny about that is I was, I was pretty nervous, right, and so I did it. And it was a bit of a blur. And then I thought I've got to go back and, like, see if I made sense. But because they've dubbed over it in Serbian, I haven't got a clue what I said, so I can't understand myself. So you'll have to ask a Serbian if it actually, you know, was um, was uh, nonsense or whether it made sense. But look, I wrote a couple of articles about the Novak situation, um, and uh, those articles got picked up by Serbian media, and um, I'm told went viral. Um, a Serbian journalist who's covered the Australian Open the last 12 years in a row, um, he told me, and this is this is what he said, which I think is hilarious, but he said, you've become a cult figure in Serbia. And I think it's because Australian journalists standing up for their national hero, um, and and the way I wrote was uh, probably 
quite funny and a bit scathing of, I, I think, the way the Australian authorities handled it. So, yeah, it's become quite popular in Serbia. So, um, you know, I, I might move to Serbia. I might have a future there. <laughs> well, I think you've got a big future, James. I saw you on Sky News the other night uh, talking about a new dating app in Iran and um, and how the uh, the mullahs, uh, the ayatollahs, use the algorithm to ensure that you get the right matches with people. And you said it's like having the ayatollah as the third wheel in your relationship. Uh, I think that was pretty hilarious. And I saw Rowan Dean almost fall off his chair. So if you want a taste of uh, the wit and witticisms of James McPherson, buy Notes from Woketopia. It's available at uh, Connor Court. And, uh, James, I want to thank you so much for giving of your time today to speak to the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. Thanks for having me, Lyle. It's always good to catch up with you. Notes from Woketopia, connorcourt.com.au. Well, that's it for Macquarie Street for this week. Next week, I'll be bringing uh, you my discussion with the Queensland Senator Matt, Matt Canavan, one of the last voices of reason left in Australian politics. You won't want to miss that. Until then, God bless. Music.